Welcome back to the Gentle Catholic Parenting Podcast, where I explore gentle, positive principles of parenting through the lens of our Catholic faith. I'm your host, Kim Cameron Smith, and this is episode five. So here we are at episode five, and I was just thinking as I was sitting down, <laughs> I was thinking about like, wow, I have really learned a lot in just these you know, doing the the last four episodes. So I really wish we could do recording bloopers because really funny things have happened. Like I recorded one entire show with a sock on my mic because <laughs> I have a uh, like a screen in front of my mic. It's supposed to help muffle, you know, weird noises. But I put a sock on my mic when I'm not recording to keep dust off my mic, and I forgot about it. So one whole show was recorded with a sock on the mic. Um, We've discovered that I swallow like a whale. I just, I don't know. I swallow really loud, and you can hear it from across the room. I don't know why. I should probably go to the doctor, but I have to actually turn away when I swallow so that it doesn't sound like, I don't know, a giant slug is crawling over the mic. Other really funny things have happened. Like I just, I actually just recorded almost this entire episode and then realized that um, my mic was never plugged in. So (laughs) I've had a little, a little trial run of this show. But anyway, we're having a really good time. And uh, we are on to episode five now. I did episode four. I, I, I covered the topic of tantrums, and my purpose in that show was to talk about why the tantrums happen, and then to address what I have found to be effective ways to handle uh, toddler tantrums. And the show just went a little long, so I ended up doing basically part one last time, so that is episode four. I covered the causes of tantrums in toddlers and young preschoolers, and in this show I will talk about ineffective and effective ways to respond to tantrums. So just a quick recap. So in the last show, I explained that some tantrums are actually uh, avoidable. So little children, they can have a tantrum because they are hungry or they're tired or they're uncomfortable. You know, they might be wearing an a sweater that's hot or too tight. Those are just physical needs that need to be met. And oftentimes children will act out uh, when they're, when they, they're, they have a physical need that needs to be met. So all we can do is get in front of it and make sure that we have regular meal times and know, you know, when our child is tired and such. Children become bored when they've been doing the same thing for too long. That's another big one. And they're just not mature enough to know that, oh, I, I've been playing with these blocks for an hour. I should maybe read a book now. They they just don't have that ability to transition themselves. So they need mom or dad or, an, or their grown-up to help them move on to something else. Some tantrums are just not avoidable. It is just part of, I mean, so some tantrums are avoidable, but you cannot avoid all tantrums in this age group. And I don't think you want to. And the reason is because kids at this age, they have tantrums because they're frustrated. Because they're frustrated. And if we remove all frustration from their lives, they will never develop resilience. So it's hard for us because we see our sweet baby completely 
you know, in distress and we think I've done something wrong, but you haven't done something wrong. I think you should just support them through these these uh, distress tantrums and know that it's just normal. And by handling them effectively, you're actually going to help your child develop self-control and resilience. Okay, so what do I think are some ineffective ways to respond to a tantrum? Well, I think these are ineffective not only because of studies that I've read and, you know, books that I've read, but because of my own experience. So I think, I think all of you would agree with this. Shaming or minimizing the child's emotions during the, the tantrum, that is not effective. So saying things like, oh, don't be a baby or... You don't have anything to, what are you upset about? You have nothing to be upset about. Or the one that I confessed in the last show that I once said to my son in the middle of a tantrum, what's wrong with you? They just take that to heart and they they really do think there's something wrong with them. And they just learn to hide their feelings. I feel that I want to teach my kids that their big feelings are not bad they just need to learn how to express their feelings better, you know, in non-destructive or, you know, basically in more socially acceptable ways. Because if we shame them, they'll just bury their feelings. And the feelings do not go away. The feelings do not go away. They come back as, def you know, they will resurface. If they don't feel like they can express those emotions, the emotions will just resurface as defiance or resentment, anxiety. Anxiety is a big one. So kids that have n never learned to feel comfortable with their negative emotions, they just resurface in one of these other ways. Another ineffective way is actually punishing the child for having a tantrum because you're essentially punishing the child for being immature. Because as I explained in the last show, that toddlers and young preschoolers, they just react without thinking. They just react without thinking. They won't have the maturity to second guess themselves until they're five to seven years old. And what do, what do I mean by that? You know, second guessing themselves. We second guess ourselves. So if I am angry with a friend and I think, I don't want to be her friend anymore, or, you know, I'm ready to yell at her or something. I second get I, I, I self-talk and I have second thoughts and think, hmm, actually I love her. Let me just calm down. You have you just you don't even notice it. You have self-talk and you are able to take a different path. Well, a little child does not have that ability and they won't until they're five to seven years old. So spanking them, yelling at them, or threatening to spank them or yell at them is kind of overkill. So we have to guide them, not punish them. And I know it, ta it takes incredible patience because our own emotional limitations get, I mean, we can feel our hearts. Um, some of us just, when our children are really angry or they're very sad, we it can trigger something within us. So it takes all, all our own grown-up ability to, you know, we have to dig deep and ask God for the graces to understand ourselves and our own responses so we can respond 
with mercy uh, to our children in these situations. Now, since the last show, I realize somebody is going to ask themselves, but isn't it a sin to be angry? Shouldn't we punish our child for displaying anger because it's sinful? So first of all, an 18-month-old or you know even a four-year-old is not culpable for actions that would be considered sinful in an adult. So that's first of all. But second of all, no, anger is having angry emotions. I mean, an ang anger as an emotion is completely normal and unavoidable. So when someone when someone stops you, you you know, you as an adult, when someone stops you from doing something you want to do or they hurt you, you just have a physical response. You you know, it's just out of your control. Anger is just a natural human response to a trigger. So some people do things with their anger that are destructive and, you know, inappropriate. They allow it to fester or they become you know, they want to get revenge on the person. So that's when emotions in an adult can become sinful. I am not a confessor. And so I don't know if something you're experiencing is a sin or not. I'm just telling you actually what it says right in the catechism. Anyhow, a two-year-old isn't going to be planning vengeance on the dog. <laughs> you know, they just have a reaction to the dog and they hit the dog. If we try to stop our child from feeling angry, those emotions have to go somewhere. And my concern is that we, I just think it's important that we allow our children to feel comfortable with the entire array of human emotions. And a great grace came. Since the last show, I came across some material on Thomas Aquinas's a treatise on emotions. He wrote about the emotions. And I, I read some things and I watched a lecture by Father Vincent Lobardo. He wrote a book about this too. It was based on his PhD dissertation. And it's all about Thomas's Aquinas's view of the emotions. So he explained that Aquinas actually had a very positive view of the emotions. And this is in contrast to the Stoics, who believed that emotions were just, you know, it was just a barrier to living the good life. You just needed to get rid of the emotions. No, for Aquinas, you actually need to be comfortable with your emotions. And, you know, you need the emotions to become holy. Passions are not a threat to virtue. They're an essential component of it. It's true our uh, so our it's true our emotions can hinder our spiritual growth but that's when they are not rightly ordered when they're rightly ordered they aid our growth in virtue sometimes anger is justified right our anger is natural and preserves us so that's why we have that natural that's a chemical response and god put it there it's a self-protective response and it can propel us forward to act on behalf of others if you see uh you know somebody hitting a child or an animal with a shovel you will become angry and you will jump in to defend this innocent victim. That is anger aiding the virtue of justice in you. 
if you didn't feel angry, then there would be a problem. So this is an example of anger aiding in the growth of virtue. So I just think of some of the things that we've been hearing in the news. I'm not going to comment on specifics because I don't think I want to accuse anybody without somebody having due process and us finding all, out all the facts. But I would say that some of the things that I'm hearing that our church leaders knew about certain activities and knew that harm was was being done to children and young people and um, they didn't do anything about it. I mean, why weren't they absolutely outraged? Why didn't their anger and their outrage lead them to intercept a potential um, predator and protect, you know, why didn't they protect victims and potential victims? So anyhow, that, you know, that's, it breaks my heart. And so I really, I want my, I don't, I will not punish my children for feeling angry. In fact, I want my children to be able to own their anger because maybe they have a reason to be angry. Maybe they need to protect themselves against somebody, uh, you know, invading their space. Or they want to step in to defend somebody whose, you know, integrity is being violated. I don't want my children to be ashamed of any of their emotions. There's this really great um, John Christostom quote. You've, you may have heard it, but it's very apropos. He who is not angry, whereas he has cause to be, sins. For unreasonable patience is the hotbed of many vices. It fosters negligence, and it incites not only the wicked, but the good to do wrong. So, no, anger is not a sin. Sometimes not being angry can be the problem. Okay, so I kind of went on too long there. Um, another approach to dealing with a child's temper tantrum, I think one that really isn't super helpful is isolation. And I'm thinking here of timeouts. So many developmental psychologists are backing away from timeouts because parents are overusing it. It's like their first, the first thing they go to. And the problem is at the age most parents use them, it's at this very young age, the toddler and preschool years. Well, these kids, they do not, they don't process uh, timeouts the way an older, older child does. So when we say, you, you know, you're going to sit in the timeout chair and you're going to think about what you've done and how you can do better in the future, an 18-month-old is not going to do that. A four-year-old is not going to do that. They literally cannot, they don't have self-reflective capacities in that way, and they do not have the capacity to think ahead to their future. Like, they don't plan ahead and consider how they're going to behave in the future. They just don't. So what all they're experiencing is, oh, my, you know, my mom doesn't want to be with me right now. So a child at this age will, it, so this is what develop, some developmental psychologists say, that at this age, the child just experiences the timeout as punishment. So when they're in distress, we need to be present more than ever and, and kind of guide them through their emotions. 
So there is the problem with these um, these two approaches, and indeed some other ones. Those are the two that I wanted to highlight. Uh, the problem with these approaches is that they are they can be kind of helpful in the short term, but what is really going on underneath? I mean, the child is maybe learning to hide their emotions because they don't they think that there's something wrong with the emotion, or because they're afraid of uh, what will happen to them if they express it. So hiding your emotions is not the same thing as learning how to express it in a socially acceptable manner. And so I want our children to be comfortable with the entire array of human emotions. I just want them, I want our children to know how to uh, use emotion to lead them to virtue, like Thomas Aquinas talked about. So here are some effective ways to handle your toddler's anger that takes into consideration this goal. One thing is just a ground rule. It is okay that you do not allow your child to hurt herself or somebody else. So I've shared with you that my uh, one of my sons, when he would have these big tornado tantrums, he would fling himself back and hit himself, his, his hit his head on the ground like over and over again. And so I would put my hand under his head or I would kind of slip a pillow under there, you know, just so he wouldn't hurt himself. Or if you have a child who in, in their tantruming, they lash out at people hitting or kicking, it is okay to say, I'm not going to let you hit me or I'm not, I'm sorry, I cannot let you hit your sister and physically block them from hurting somebody. So here is what I found to be the most um, powerful tool. So I just said that developmental psychologists don't really love the time out. Well, they do like time in. So this is just a, you know, rethinking of, of time in. So instead of viewing it as kind of like a jail, you know, you, you, you look at it as a nice, comfortable place to calm down. And when you're, so the reason I like this, okay, so here's what the, what, here's what a time in is. So it took on a few different flavors in my home. So I had couch time. So I learned this in the book, Playful Parenting. So I would sit with my child on the couch and kind of like help them, you know, let them go through the arc of their emotions. You know, the emotions will arc up. Oh, they'll just get huge. And then they'll come down on the other side. This is just the way emotions are. All emotions are this way. So I would just sit with them during the emotion arc or the wave, the giant wave. And, uh, you know, I would kind of comfort them. I would talk to them about what they're feeling. So I would name the feeling for them, which sounds kind of corny. When I first heard this tip, I thought, oh, my, my kids are going to think I'm having a stroke. It's not, this does not sound like me to say, oh, I see you're angry or, oh, I see you're sad. Well, that isn't the way I sound. So I just ended up saying it the way I say it, which is, you know, you're really angry. I can see that you're angry. And I would, you know, so some people who model this, they just don't sound like me. Just do it your own way. Naming your child's feelings during your time in, the reason it's important is that you're building your child's emotion vocabulary. They actually learn to understand their emotions by putting a name on it. Other than a couch time, another way to do a time in is to have a, um, like a 
comfortable place where your child can go if they really don't like to sit with anybody during the, the time in. So I once had a tent. It was a little kitty tent. And I would put pillows in there. And there were some stuffed animals and books. And so my, you know, I would say, oh, you know, why don't you you know, have a time in and, um, and relax. And it was an inviting place. It wasn't like a hard chair off in the corner. It was in the middle of the living room and it was their special place to go. And it was colorful and comfortable. And so, you know, you're reframing it in a positive way. It doesn't feel punitive to them. So you're giving them a chance to sort of like come back to themselves and, you know, calm down so when we're doing this, the reason I like this uh, rebranding of the timeout is that you're uh, entering into the child's chaos with them and helping them understand what's going on. This is practicing the virtue of mercy. So mercy is entering into the chaos of another. So when you enter into your child's tantrum this way, you're helping her. You're helping her bring calm and peace to that chaos. So I love that. Another really important thing to do in response to a tantrum is to mentor your child. So after the tantrum is over, because during the tantrum, you know, they're out of their minds, <laughs> you can't reason with them. So after the tantrum is over, engage the upper brain by kind of talking about what was happening and, you know, what she was feeling, what was going on. And the reason this is good, you know, you can also talk to them, you know, what did she want? Usually a child is having a tantrum because they wanted something. And then if they're old enough, you can actually talk to them, well, what would be a good way to get that need met or to get what you wanted? If it's, if it's appropriate, right? So if she had a tantrum because she couldn't reach a book, you can say, you know, what would have been an effective way? What you know, wouldn't want to say that, but you'd say, you know, what would have been, what could you have done to get the book? And now that they're calmed down, their higher brain is, you know, the lights are on. And they'll say, oh, you know, I maybe I could have asked you to get it for me. Or, you know, I could have stood on my step stool. And that's a way for to teach them, you know, problem solving skills. So... If she's old enough, you can also talk to her. If she did act out violently or inappropriately, you can uh, help her understand how she can handle her feelings better in the future. And we should definitely ensure that our child makes amends with anyone that she hurt, including you. So help her say I'm sorry and help her clean up any messes she might have made. Don't do it for her, but, you know, you can help her. So, you know, engage her help and lead her in making her wrong right. So that's a really important thing to do. And connected to that, very important model for your child. So it's hard for us to remain calm during a tantrum. But if we model calmness and peace... You're teaching your child how a grown-up handles their big emotions. You know, if we scream back at our child when they're screaming at us, they're not learning anything from our adult example. So instead of, you know, freaking out back at them, I know it is hard sometimes, but if we stay calm and cool, they will over time internalize appropriate, mature responses to disappointment and their big feelings. 
So, I, you know, I've learned my approach to tantrums through many, really many different sources, but the ones that have helped me the most are the Newfeld Institute. They have parenting classes, and of course, Gordon Newfeld has a great book, Hold On to Your Kids. But they have uh, discipline classes um, on his website, the newfeldinstitute.org. And also the book Science of Parenting by Margot Sunderland. She has an entire chapter on tantrums. And that book really helped me understand the biochemistry of what was going on with my son when he was having these big tantrums. That's when I became very interested in that aspect of it. So the reason I like these approaches, it's a long-term approach. You'll start noticing over time that your toddler starts understanding her feelings and she'll explain them to you. And in the later preschool, and this is great because they're really getting it. They're developing their emotional intelligence. And what's really exciting is you'll notice in the later preschool years, you're going to see signs that your child is beginning to have that, you know, that um, second guessing that I was talking about. She'll, she's reflecting on her actions before she acts. So she'll tell you something like, I had a hit in my arm. My, it was stuck in my arm and I didn't hit. So that is a sign and it starts to happen gradually between ages five and seven. This is a clue that they're developing self-control self-regulation, and the ability to reflect on their actions before they act. That's very exciting. And that's way better than our child not doing something because they're scared. I want my child to do something because she understands her emotions and she can think rationally about how she wants to handle them. So this is important because your child is developing brain pathways that enable her to calm herself down too. So she'll learn to calm herself down when she's under stress. And this translates into other areas of her life when she's under stress. She'll just have that self-regulation. And that is a huge gift because many people don't have that. So they have to turn to artificial things to calm them down like drinking or, you know, addictive behaviors. So this is a great gift to give your child the gift of self-regulation. Okay, so kind of wrap up here. In disciplining our children, our goal isn't just to stop the annoying behavior. It's to lead our child to a place where she can do the right thing for the right reason with the right choices and emotions and at the right time. What is this? This is wisdom. This is wisdom. We're disciplining our children to lead them to wisdom. When our child is in emotional chaos, it is easy to forget that God is really present and active even in those moments. God isn't waiting for the kicking, yelling, and crying to end before he shows up for you. There are graces to notice even in the craziness of a toddler tantrum. When I went through this with my son, I saw an image of myself in him. I saw the way I resist God's will, the way I try very hard to get my way, even when my way will hurt me. And in my own loving response to my son, I see a sign of God's gentle care of me. So that's it for today. 
Have courage and confidence as you move through your day today, especially if you meet a tantrum, because you know what to do. God bless you. Have a great day. Pray for me. I will for you. 